Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. You're about to hear a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired on April 6th, 2017. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. My treasured food buddies are here, senior contributors Chris Prosperi, Alex Province, Mark Raymond, and senior producer Robin Doyon Aiken. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hey. All right, Chris, you and I were talking about this before, how hard it is for everybody to make eggs and feel, feel like they're doing it the right way. There's something to it. Everyone thinks you can just put the egg in the pan and it's done, but there's little tricks that you can be taught. I don't know about you, Robin, but I feel like my eggs, my scrambled eggs are okay. You know, they'll, they'll, <laughs> yeah. they'll pass muster. No one just runs from the table. But I never feel that they're correct or the best I could do. And I think, how do people – I've tried this. I've tried that. How do people do it? So – I met a guy. I went to the Thimble Islands B&B. This mm-hmm, is a, sure. just a gorgeous little B&B on the water yep. in Brantford, Stony, Stony Creek, Creek right? where yeah, all yeah. the Thimble Islands are. Beautiful. So it's Thimble Islands B&B. Yeah. The guy who is the co-host of the mm-hmm. place, the co-owner of the place, Tony Broom, is a magnificent uh, scrambled egg cooker. Egg I master, him, we call them. What in the world? <laughs> egg, he's egg, egg master. master. Yeah. I said, uh-huh. what in the world do you do to these eggs? You've yeah. got to tell me. So I've got him on the phone. <laughs> I thought, let's I'm find, dying to hear. Yeah. Let's find out what he does. Tony, welcome to the Food Schmooze. Hello, Faith. How are you? Well, it's great to have you on the show. Would you walk us through how you make scrambled eggs for your guests in the morning? Sure. I like to get the eggs out and uh, let them get a little more toward room temperature than coming right out of the refrigerator. Yeah. Uh, But then I'll break them into our, you know, a mixing bowl. I saw Anthony Bourdain one time on TV, and he says, only eggs, just beat them a little bit. And he sort of folds them over, and they have streaks of white in them. Well, I have to disagree with him. Um, 100%. (laughs) I'll add salt. Then I add just a little bit of milk or half and half. And I uh, beat them uh, with a beater, you know, a mechanical mixer, an egg beater. Oh, an electric beater. You know, so-called egg beater. Great tip. What does that do, Chris? Gets more air in there? Mm -hmm. Loosens them up. Sure. Okay, so uh-huh. there Gets we air go. In them. Yeah, and just for a minute or two, you beat them. Yeah, no, I don't want to overbeat them. You know, then the the proteins get strung out or something. Uh, <laughs> okay, now we have the pan. What goes in the pan? A uh, pat of butter, and mm-hmm. I use a nonstick pan. Okay, and then on a low flame, I pour the eggs in. I would have to say that I think the secret here is. Constantly having them moving, using a rubber spatula, and constantly scraping the bottom of the pan. Scraping sounds a little harsh, but 
just constantly moving the eggs around so that they're cooking evenly and slowly. Yes. Ah, We have a mantra where we say small, soft, creamy curds as you're mixing because that's what you're looking for. And you keep moving the eggs. You don't let them sit. You just keep moving and moving them. And I think the people always try to make them too hot, flame too hot. You want a nice low to medium low flame. It takes a little longer and Mm. you really have to be there. You can't be doing something else. Yeah, buttering toast. Stay with those eggs. Stay with those eggs. Stay with the eggs. (laughs) And the flame is on low during this whole time. Yeah, the texture of these eggs, it's like a little creamy. souffle. I mean, it's just right? beautiful. Creamy, light, fluffy. <laughs> Tony, congratulations. Tony's an egg master. <laughs> He's an egg master. <laughs> the guy so is. <laughs> so, Tony, I don't know. I'm just going to start stopping by at breakfast time. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. <laughs> the Thimble Island's B&B. In- well, we'll be here. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. What a spot you have looking out on on the water like that. I mean, you feel like you're on a boat. It's just well, incredible. Well, we have uh, personal flotation devices under the bed. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the eggs, they are the thing. And that what's that caramelized? I think I took a picture of it, the caramelized French toast. Oh, the creme brulee French toast. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. So that nice. just sounds good. Is that it dessert? Is, <laughs> it, no, it is nutty delicious. Well, that, that's Julie's forte. Tony Broom, who is co-host and owner of the Thimble Islands B&B in Stony Creek, Connecticut, where they make, after you've stayed there, the best scrambled eggs on the planet, I think. I've never tasted anything like them. They're just magnificent. Thank you, Eggmaster. Well, thank you, Faith. <laughs> You're welcome. We'll put some egg stuff up on the site. So that's at fujmoos.org, and we'll link to the B&B. So I don't know if you can call them and say we want to come for <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> no, but come on, get away. Yeah, you can get away. It's that's gorgeous. Great. So that, and we should have Julie on to talk about that French toast. Mm-hmm. Is it crispy like so, a creme brulee? Yes, the sugar's caramelized totally. on top? It's just all delicious. Right, right. Okay. It is um, brunch season. That's right. Let's open up the conversation. Well, what would we do for brunch? What do you serve? Do you do the mimosa thing what is what is your brunch drink cava Mm. for people who don't know what that is spanish it's spanish sparkling wine from barcelona and it's very dry very dry brute bone dry so affordable and so delicious. But yeah, you, but the quality is very high. It's always. great quality. Yeah. I love kava, too. I love too. kava yeah. myself, yeah. That would be Absolutely. my favorite. And I actually prefer it without stuff in it. You know, I, the yeah. orange juice or Green. the peach So yeah. mimosa yeah. without orange juice. <laughs> that's, that's how I like I it. Like, you just like the sparkling. Sans the orange sparkling juice. wine with eggs, I yeah. think, is just fantastic combination. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. But what do sparkling you do, Robin? What, what do you do? What, what's your go-to drink? Well, right along the lines of kava, I have made mimosas with Prosecco. Go, that kind of a classic. Yeah, yeah. Even if you have other drinks there, other brunch drinks, you still have to have a mimosa. Yeah. yeah. And do you do freshly squeezed oh, orange sure. juice? Or- of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Okay. Chris? I do two things at once. I do a shrimp or crab cocktail. Mm-hmm. And it literally wow. is a appetizer and a drink all at once. We're going to your I came up with it years ago. We were having people over for brunch and I overslept. 
<laughs> and nice. my job was to get the drinks for when people come in because that's the first thing you have to do and to do a little appetizer. So what I decided I was going to do was Bloody Marys and I was going to do a little crab salad, you know, maybe on a little toast. So I wake up late, not even showered. People are pulling in the driveway. Uh-oh. I had set up Bad the host. I set up the bar for the, you know, for the Bloody Marys already. So I had the mix made in the refrigerator. I had the glasses out. I had all that set up, and I had the crab already in a bowl, ready to go in the refrigerator. And I just was going to chop some stuff up. I don't know. I just panicked, and all of a sudden, I said, "You know what? I'm just going to do it all at once." I had these nice, uh, like martini-style <laughs> glasses. I threw the crab meat into the glasses, <gasps> and then in a martini shaker, I poured my um, uh-huh. Bloody Mary mix. I put a big splash of vodka in, and then I drizzled in some olive oil and a little extra lemon juice. And as people were coming in the door, I was shaking it up on ice and pouring it over the crab salad and then gave them a little fork mm. to eat the crab so salad. So they had the drink and so they had their drink. They had their cocktail and their appetizer all at once. Wow. I yep. think That's that a is a idea. genius yep. idea. You could have yeah. pretended not to be home. <laughs> <laughs> that did cross my mind, but I You're did hiding. invite everybody. So that would have been hard to believe me if I could have got out of this at that point. I mean, I literally woke up as people were pulling wow, in the Wow, I love this. <laughs> Hair sticking <laughs> up. You, you, you brush your them? teeth. Yeah, yeah, brushing my teeth and shaking in the martini. Yeah. You handed them a savory cocktail, and they did not even notice that you had not brushed your hair. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's no right. one said. I didn't say anything. No one said anything to me. Uh, as, as people Was were that standing, the whole breakfast? Or what? Yeah, no, no. As people. No, I was all set up to do a brunch afterwards, but they gave me the time. Right? People were mulling around saying, "Oh, this is great! This is great!" Like, you know, oh, I got. I'll be right back. I run upstairs to the bathroom. Thank you for coming. Quick shower, and then is that the hair dryer? Yeah. Yeah. Once once people got settled, then I broke out the eggs. That's great. Okay. What about you, Mark? What do you? What's your? Well, I've always been a classic. Classic. Bloody Mary, you know, but um, I've I've recently found a really cool like spicy vodka. Oh, we're going to talk about that, that in yeah. an upcoming show. Absolutely, wait till you hear about this thing. So good, but wow. um, but another cool idea along the lines of the cava is turning that into sort of a white wine sangria. Ooh. You know, chopping up some fresh fruit and putting it into either cava or white wine. People love fresh fruit in the morning. So, oh, that's yeah. a great idea. You know, and your plus cantaloupe, you do it the night your before. pineapple. Yeah. No sits matter, in the fridge. Sits in there, soaks in that No matter what wine. you have coming after, it just somehow goes with it, doesn't it? Absolutely. White sangria. Absolutely. What kind of uh, white wine do you use? For me, I'd use something along the lines of either a Sauvignon Blanc, something crisp mm-hmm. and bright like that, or maybe even a white Rioja, which would be ah, fun too. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Maybe even a Torrantes yeah. from uh, Chile. You know, yeah, from Argentina. from Argentina. Oh, Argentina. Argentina. Okay. Yeah. You know the other one I like is the beer and clamato juice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you ever have one of those? The We've done that. Hey, yeah, on the show, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. yeah. We I have. just, I just think that's a great Sunday. You know, if you're, if you want to stay away from wine or vodka or cocktaily kind of things, and you want something that's a little different. I've loved all of these suggestions. But I think we need inspiration. I'm going to ask you now, we're going to ask you on Facebook to tell us what is your brunch drink? What is your go-to drink? Maybe you have alcohol, maybe you don't. You know, there might be kids at the table, whatever you choose to do. And it may be that there's a particular restaurant you go to because on a Sunday I used to have a tradition years ago in Provincetown of going to a particular place on a Sunday and they had a particular drink 
for brunch that was so fabulous. And these, you know, quite fabulous guys would walk around with trays and they were in Coast Guard suits with, with, nice. with Coast Guard hats. Honestly, it was, it. Like, it was like a Bette Midler routine. Honestly, it was the most hilarious, skates. funny thing. Um, but the drinks were delicious. So I'll talk about that later. What about you? Is there a particular place that makes a drink? Remember, I went to that place in Mystic that did the Bloody Mary with the, the bacon strip oh, yeah. into room. the table. Uh-huh. Engine room in Mystic, Can- Connecticut. Engine room, yeah. I want you to go to Facebook right now and please talk with all of us about what kind of brunch drink you serve and uh, where do you get a brunch drink that you absolutely love. It's Faith Middleton Food Schmooze on Facebook. Can't wait to hear from you and we'll chat back and forth with you. Yeah. We have coming up the cookbook Gluten-Free Cooking for Two. Now, if you are gluten-free, most recipes are for four, six, or eight people. Mm. So this is filling a niche in the market where if you're just two people and you want to be gluten-free or one of your guests is gluten-free, everybody can eat this. So whether you're gluten-free or not, you're going to, I think, have a good time with these recipes. Really, really Mm. fun. Chris knows that I found an article in the New York Times that knocked me out. It's called, As Japan Ages, Menus Adapt to finding the gourmet in purees. This is a story about how Japan has the largest elderly population in the world. Wow. And that chefs, uh, homes where old people stay, uh, restaurants, elderly people are quite revered in Japan, treated with tremendous respect. I love that. The chefs and all the food people are taking it seriously upon themselves to adapt the food world to serve them and have them be as happy as everybody else. And they're really taking it to a new level, right? Not just pureed peas. Yeah, and again, not just taking food and putting it in a blender, right, Faith? They were really making things look like they really are or were. So in other words, they're molding it. And yes, it, it was pretty amazing. Like like using thickeners? And- yeah, yes. yeah. Go ahead, Well, Faith. So, so um, companies in Japan are developing these special thickening products that aren't junky or chemical-based, mm, you know, ones. weird. On this recent afternoon, the story says they have this lunch menu of Japanese sea bass, sweet and sour marinated carrots and radishes with a side dish of spinach and mushrooms. So because when people are quite old, they have a little more difficulty swallowing, and there's a small portion of the elderly who have a tremendous amount of difficulty mm-hmm. swallowing. So they said, what can we do about this? They revere old people. Let's fix this for them. So what they did at this restaurant was they swapped out the sea bass for a softer fish, a flounder. They took the mushrooms out. That's for the soft swallowers. Then for the serious problem swallowers, they put the entire meal, the protein, into a food processor, became a puree. They added the thickening agent. Now it's a soft block. And then they put the soft block in a fish mold, took it Uh out of the fish mold, put seasonings on it, Uh and did, you know, like fins with the carrots and the... So it and doesn't look different than looks, other food. It right? tastes right. like fish. It's yeah. gorgeous, and they can swallow it. And it's actually it. fish. It's just beautiful. We should treat wow. yeah, older people agreed. like that here. Yeah. As, oh, yeah. Why as, should you get... as all of us sitting here are heading in that direction quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Here, take out your teeth, yeah. Chris. 
<laughs> I would like to enjoy food when I am 100 years yes, old. Why you. should I not have the whole experience of that pleasure of the food just because yeah, I'm 100? Exactly. So yeah. chefs, and fragile, yeah. it, chefs said that they were so upset. Like one chef talks about watching this man who is 80 the second that leeks came onto his plate, fork came out, pushed him aside, and the chef thought, I am not going to be a restaurant that doesn't take care of our elderly. I'm doing it. And so he awesome. did this and whole kind really of thing, is. and these nursing homes in Japan are now adapting this. And wow. I just, I thought this was so incredible. We could follow that lead, right? I, listen, I know <laughs> a man who was in a nursing home because he is quite debilitated from a stroke. And they don't want him to have alcohol in the nurse, not because his condition says he should have no alcohol, but because they think it's kind of, yeah. quote unquote, bad for the nursing home. And I think, what, what? in the world would you do that Let for? Let him live. Yeah. yeah. You know, I suspect he has it anyway. Some <laughs> friendly, <Agreed>. friendly visitors. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yep>. Bottles <laughs> under the bed. <laughs> I mean, this is clear. I mean, somebody's got a medication issue. Of course, mm, I'm not advocating yes. that. But this is, I think, something else. But I think it's the idea of just because someone's old doesn't mean that they can't have quality of life and be respected and allowed yeah. to, to be happy and to continue living and yeah. not rushing them to something. And I must say that there are a lot of drugs now. Um, in the past, if you had chemo, it was very difficult. You couldn't eat. It felt oh. awful. Nothing appealed to you. But there are some drugs now that help preserve the appetite of people, even with serious chemo and radiation treatments. Right. You know, my good friend, Joy Wolke, we had pizzas and uh-huh. her f- favorite sparkling wine champagne right uh-huh. up into the end and yep, she could taste it all she loved yeah. it oh, That's awesome. it was so oh, wonderful yeah. i hope that happens for all of us listen on the other side of this break we have a great red wine a discovery for you one of the most delicious and well 20 dollars a bottle so i think quite affordable for in in terms of what the flavor of this wine is more mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the faith middleton food schmooze i hope you will make a charitable contribution to feed the hungry Their numbers are growing, folks. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. You're listening to a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired April 6th, 2017. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans not cornbread out of sight. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. have a free podcast for you, meaning you'll never miss a drop of pleasure on this show. All you do is go to our site, you sign up for it once, and you can listen whenever you want to. Foochmoose.org, and you'll see podcast delivery. 
I'm with my treasured food buddies. I just adore these people. Chris Brasberry, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut. Wine broker Alex Province and Mark Raymond, our wine broker, and Robin Doyen-Aiken, our senior producer. Here we go. We promised you a good wine discovery. I like this enough so that I went out and bought a case of it myself. Uh, it's $20 a bottle. It's a category for me where I would bring this to someone's home as a host gift. If it's a birthday or something, I might move up even to 50 And this is on the lower side of so, that? So this is $20, yeah. right? And it yeah. is a, a Spanish wine. It's a Rioja. It is a beautiful red from Spain, Baron de Lay, and it's a Reserva. Mark, your discovery. Thank you for this. This is a wonderful wine that I've been drinking for many, many vintages, and the 2010 is really special. But it is 100% mm. Tempranillo, and they put nice. it in barrel for, oh, mm. 24 months, mm. and then in the bottle for another year. Oh. What I love about this mm. is just the silkiness on the barrel. Yeah. Right? It I love Spanish so luscious. Just, it has a kind of lip-smacking mm. quality to it. So it's all Tempranillo. Yes. Now, normally, mm. just all Tempranillo doesn't have a little kind of backbone. This does. That two years in new French and American oak. That's what does Really wow. just gives What's, it some great What would great this go well depth. with? What, what do you all think? Tempranillo is very similar to Pinot Noir. So I would do the classics. Duck would be yeah. great. Chicken. Chicken, anything salmon. with tomato sauce is wonderful. You would? Salmon Absolutely. is perfect tomato with salmon. Salmon is fantastic mm. with salmon. Oh, yeah. You do your classic paella, too, if you wanted, if <laughs> oh, you're yeah. really Spanish. Yeah. You know, with the chorizo and the fish and the In Spain, in chicken. Rioja, where this comes from, Tempranillo would be the wine that they have with their entire cuisine. You know, here we have the luxury of having a zillion different grapes to choose from. Mm-hmm. In that region, the north coast of Spain, most of the red wines, Tempranillo, are coming from Rioja. So it's going with... All that great Spanish food. One of the things I had this recently with is we make uh, chimichurri sauce with the parsley and the garlic. Yeah. So oh, sure. I just take chicken thighs, put them into uh, mm. you know a deep dish pan, rub them down with salt and then a little bit of chimichurri, and then roast them in the oven. It is Uh-oh. so, so good. <laughs> I like that. Oh, I like that. For a Monday, Tuesday night, Wednesday, actually anytime. It's an easy one. You put the chicken in the oven for 45 minutes, you're done. It's great. I like that. Yeah. And you know, the other thing about Rioja that's awesome is that it's an appellation. It's a DOC in Spain, so it's so highly regulated. They regulate everything about the making of this wine, Mm -hmm. from how much grapes you can get from the land, whether or not you can add fertilizer, whether or not you can add sugar, which they can't. By definition, how long it has to be in tank and barrel. Spain's finest wine comes from this region, Rioja. I have a basement full of this stuff. It's my favorite, favorite stuff to drink. It's probably the most recognized wine out of Spain. People see the name Rioja, and they're like, oh, I I love Rioja. Mm -hmm. Rioja's, you know. Me too. And it's so delicious, so easy drinking. And there's so many different different variations. You can get the Crianza, which spends a little less time in barrel. You get Reserva. And then if you really want something super special that can be anywhere from, like, $30 Thirty to fifty dollars a bottle. You get the Grand Reserva, which is oh. they do all the aging for you. Is basically what that style is. Where is this Rioja? Rioja. But, and it's but, in a little town called Mendavia, which is just outside uh-huh. of Logroño, maybe thirty minutes south of Logroño. If you took a flight to Madrid, rented a car, if you drove straight four hours to the north, you'll hit a mountain range called the Cantabria Mountain Range, and. If you think of Ireland as being wet, 
Well, this mountain range causes all the rain to fall on one side, which is Galicia, and then where Rioja is, oh. it's dry. They plant the grapes right up to this cliff that comes out of the ground. I mean, yeah, it's so cool. If you're into like wine country, Rioja is, is as pretty so as they get. Spectacular, yeah. So oh, pretty. Really? Yeah. Oh, uh, I have to see that. Absolutely. Another road trip. I feel a trip coming <laughs> up. <laughs> <A> road trip. <laughs> anyway, this is on our website, and this is Baron. Thank you, Mark Raymond. Yeah. Baron Delay. B-A-R-O-N-D-E-L-E-Y. It's a Reserva Rioja. We're going to feature the 2011 pretty much, which is just coming in. and tastes quite good, according to Mark. So, Fantastic. Um, you'll see this on our website, foodschmooze.org. Great gift wine. If, you go, awesome. if it's somebody's birthday. It gets two yummies from me. Yeah, yeah, two oh, yummies. Yeah. What's the scale of the me yummies? Me too. It's one to three yummies. For me, yeah. to, this for is me right. right. Yeah. I, two I mean, buy, I bought a yummies. case of this. For, yeah, that's because, that says a lot. Yeah. And yeah. I would put a slight chill on this too. Cellar yeah. temperature, yeah. not. Yeah. Great idea. In the refrigerator yeah. for 10 or 20 minutes. It exactly. should really be like 60. You know, under 60 degrees is so good. By the way, I had a Rioja last night, which I'd ordered a glass of to try, knowing mm. what we were going to do today. This was another Rioja. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, I'm hungry. So I did it backwards. I ordered the wine first. And then I realized (laughs) what I wanted was crab cakes. Now, you wouldn't normally pick a Rioja to go with crab cakes, technically. It was delicious together. Yeah, it's a great pairing. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, the lines are very versatile yeah. from Rioja. Oh they really are. You know, a, a, a fun pairing is Manchego cheese. So if you're a Manchego oh, cheese yeah. fan, oh, that in a glass of Rioja. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that's, that's how I like good. to end the meal, right? Yeah. Or, or start no, sure. or, or skip start. the meal. It's just meal and cheese. Just cheese and wine. <laughs> yeah. Hey, has anybody had a food uh, failure lately? I just had one. How about you? Anybody have one? Food Ooh. failure. One that we yeah. want to admit? Sure. I always think it's encouraging to hear these. Let me tell you what happened. I was making Johnny Cakes, and I didn't really watch carefully, and I burned them. I mean, Mm. black in the the cast iron skillet. And I was so furious. And so I just took the spatula and just threw them in the trash. And then I just said, for God's sakes, I want cornbread, something right now. Grabbed a bowl in a kind of kitchen fury. (laughs) Threw cornmeal in, didn't even measure it. You know, you have to measure Mm. it in baking. (laughs) Didn't measure it, just went into the bowl. Then I went and got some butter and I just threw it in. Just grabbed some flour, no measuring. Salt, just grabbed my hand into the salt thing and went in the... I thought, if this comes out, it will be a miracle. So dumped it, stir, 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 (laughs) dumped it into the... uh, On milk. Mm. Dumped it into the cast iron skillet with a little bacon grease on the bottom, threw it in the oven. I don't even look at the timer. I'm just standing around, just infuriated with myself. Mm. Out it comes. And what had I created? It was either, it's like a cross between a pancake. (laughs) A corn pancake. And a cookie. All right, sure. It was fantastic. Corn cookies, I like it. It Should have wrote all those ingredients, those measurements down. It was so crunchy, crispy. Sounds so colonial. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is like... (laughs) (laughs) I had a bonnet on. Yeah, people in period clothing serving it, right? (laughs) So then I thought, okay, what can I do now? So I put butter on the top of each, cut it in wedges, butter on the top, put it in the toaster oven, and crisped up so that the top had this buttery thing and it was like eating I don't know it was a crazy <laughs> doesn't have to be right doesn't yeah. have to be difficult or measured I think I should do a cookbook cooking while furious yeah. <laughs> nice. 
my mom always says to to never cry while you're cooking because you'll put your sadness into the food. Oh, so that is it, true. Yeah, in this case, Faith made this pancake fear for its life. It had to be good. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's there a good way go. to put it. So I I've, like I've got a one uh, that's not mine. So I got a text the other day from my friend Bob saying his crab cakes were falling apart. And so Matt's trying to Google and thinking, all right, put the batter in the refrigerator for an hour and it helps it. Is that right, Chris? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that didn't work for him. Yeah. And then Matt said, oh, you should propose uh, like an egg as a binder. And then he called to say, no, it still fell apart. So what did he do wrong, you think? What would you do, Chris? If you you had So he made a crab cake cake batter and it fell apart. Then it's too wet. So more breadcrumbs? And that's the thing. With breadcrumbs, I don't – More breadcrumbs or more crab? I don't like crab cakes that are all breading. What I always do and when I tell people to make crab cakes is to start without the crab to get the consistency of the medium oh. done first. Then you can add as little binder as you need. So start off with a little breadcrumb because you need a little, right? Yeah. yeah. And then add your – it's usually mayonnaise to it, right? So add your mayonnaise to your mixture Mm -hmm. then of course it has to have old bay and you get that to a good consistency so don't add a lot of mayonnaise just add a little teaspoon at a time right and mix it until you get what do i want you want to you want to be able to mold it in your hands and when does the crab go in the crab goes in after you get that consistency because then you can load it with crab and you have the binder already set yeah okay does that that make sense right because when once you get to where your friend was then the only way to fix it really is is to keep adding stuff till you get it to that consistency Ah. and now you're going to have a lot more breading probably and you wasted all your crab too. yeah and your crab's already in there and the only way to get it back to make it formable crab cakes is actually to have more (laughs) stuff in it i have a greedy question for you how could i make almost solid crab crab cake well, I'm, I'm going to have a little crunch on the outside and so that my crab meat is bound with something and then I'm going to put it in a, yeah. a, a, I a do crunchy the, I, yeah, outside. We make that as an appetizer sometimes and then what we do there is mm. we take our crab meat and we just mix it with a little bit of egg. That's it. Nothing else in seasoning, Old Bay and whatever. And then we bread the outside of it. That's so the filling about. isn't oh. – so there's no bread on the inside. But it's not – I mean this is the thing. Yeah, and I've been doing this with crab cakes for a long time now. You don't want to ma- – when you get people in from the Chesapeake Bay area, yeah. if the crab – even though you're using the blue crab from the Chesapeake Bay – if you don't get the proportions down right with the and the way they taste and feel in your mouth, they will come into the kitchen Uh-oh. and almost give it to you as far as messing up the crab cake. And you can even explain, well, I did a different style of crab cake and I made that mistake once because when the Chesapeake Bay, there is no other style mm. of crab cake. Well, yeah. Yeah. I have to say that their crab cakes are the best, are- right? Yeah. The best. Yeah. Just fall to your knees. Incredible. They well, have fresh good. crab that's still alive. Yeah. And, and it's yeah, not you know as what? expensive for yeah, them and as we it use, is for can use canned crab, though. When you use the pasteurized canned crab in a crab cake, very hard to tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you're eating it, yeah, totally easy to tell the difference. But if it's mixed in a crab cake, it's hot. It has the sauce on the side. So, so for yeah. me to make a pure crab cake mm-hmm. and just roll the patty in some breading on yeah, the Yeah, and then fry it. What did you say it was? Just a little bit of crab meat and a little, little bit of egg seasoning. And I might not even use a whole egg. You do it I'll in whip a bowl the egg and... and then I'll add the egg to the crab just to again get it to where I can form a patty. patty. And these are very loose and really delicate. 
So you have to be very yeah. careful, and then you very softly flour egg breadcrumb, and then I may even do egg breadcrumb one more time just to make sure it holds nice and together, uh-huh. and then deep fry it. So maybe soft shell crab is easier. Soft shell crab, deep definitely. fry it. Yeah, I deep fry those. It just has a yeah. shorter season. That's yeah. the problem with that. Yeah. Oh. Just fry it. There is nothing Love like that good season. crab. And, oh. and and Old Bay was made for crab cakes. Yeah, that's the seasoning mix. It's a lot of celery seed or a lot mm. of celery salt and, and some other spices, a little it, bit of cayenne. Do you put it in the crab, the fresh crab, or do you put it in the the uh, stuff you're going to coat the crab cake in? Everything, anytime now, and I agree with it because it's a seasoning <laughs> it specifically in. made for crab. I've never actually no because I've yeah. never used it in anything else. We will. We're gonna What's in something. the old bay cocktail? We've got to invent it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, use that seasoning. Put it into yeah. the Bloody yeah. Mary mix with We're, your oh crab. Gosh, yeah, it, it, just stick with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you more about that later. <laughs> <laughs> you can make, and I have made gluten-free crab cakes using gluten-free panko. And that stuff really does work well oh. because, again, when you make crab cakes, you want as little as this stuff as possible in your mix. I bet we can make a seafood paella using Old Bay. Absolutely. Oh, it would taste oh, yeah. like the Chesapeake Bay. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Let's do what that. a good idea mm. with a lot of crab in oh, it. Oh, yeah. We, uh, the Ooh. other thing I use oh. it for is when I do crab bowls, oh, right? You, great you season idea. your water or oh. your yeah. beer right. with mm. the Old Bay. Yeah. And then you boil your crabs in them. We have a lot of cooking to I'm do. Really we do. That's we're due food. for a paella. That's party, summer aren't we? <laughs> we need some favorable yeah, weather. Yeah, no snow. And then we're going <laughs> out. Weather. We're yeah, going yeah. outside. We're going to yeah. make paella. Yeah, like can it. we do it the easy yeah, way? Yeah, we so should film it. Alex okay. is our is our. Can I do it easy? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yes, you can. Yes, you yes, can. Yes, you can. <laughs> All right, my friends. The gluten-free cookbook for two. These are great recipes. Anybody, no matter if you're gluten-free or not, you're going to want to make these. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. And for on-demand podcast delivery of this Food Schmooze Party every week and all of our curated recommendations for food, wine, cocktails, restaurants, all kinds of stuff, go to foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. listening to a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired April 6th, 2017. This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island. Of course, that includes the Hamptons. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken. And to hear this show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Okay, here we go. This is kind of fun because Carol Fenster has written 11 cookbooks. You might remember that she has done this book called A Thousand Gluten-Free Recipes. She's contributed to Washington Post, New York Times, lives in Colorado. 
this is a very important book for people who are gluten-free or who have friends who are gluten-free and want to make the meal for everyone at the table, including the gluten-free person. So the gluten-free person doesn't have a separate dish. What if it's just two of you and one of you is gluten-free? All the recipes call for four, six, and eight servings. So Carol has jumped right into this slot, and we're very grateful she has done this book called Gluten-Free Cooking for Two. So Carol, welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. I'm delighted to be with you all. So tell me, did you take recipes that you've already, I mean, you did a thousand recipes. Did you take those recipes and then adapt them for two? Yes. I had a blinding flash of the obvious one day, and I realized in my own life I had been cooking with full-size recipes all my lifetime. And now my husband and I were down to empty nesters, and I was wasting tons of food. You know, like you said before, most recipes are four to six servings. And and I began seeing in the mainstream, there's nothing for gluten-free people who need to eat in two-serving meals. So, yes, and the recipes in the book, there's 125 of them, are really our family favorites, the things that we eat the most often. Are you and your mate both gluten-free, or is just one of you gluten-free? Just me, just me. But he has been having to eat gluten-free with me for about the last 30 years. Here's my question (laughs) on that, that I think is the key to all this, as we get to your layered bean tortilla casserole in a cast iron skillet, (laughs) which we just had here. It was so good. But how do you make dishes gluten-free where they're so good that you don't even have to tell the people at the table that they're gluten-free? How do you make it appealing for your mate as well as yourself? Well, you have to have the right ingredients, first of all, and and I think that we didn't have good ingredients 30 years ago. Now we have much better ingredients. The tortillas that you ate in the dish today, they're wonderful. We have great pastas. We have great flours now that we can use. And so it's a matter of taking the right ingredients and then figuring out the right proportions, and that's really key to balancing the flavors and trying to replicate the flavors that we remember. Mm-hmm. In my case, I grew up eating wheat. I was raised on a wheat farm. Wheat was a predominant food at our table. So I grew up with the flavor of wheat in my taste buds, and that's what's really hard because our taste buds get accustomed to a certain way. Like we think bread should taste a certain way, but what we're really tasting is wheat. And so what we gluten-free cooks have to do is rewrite the recipe to use the right blend of flours in this case, the right seasonings. Sometimes we use more seasonings to kind of balance the flavors. Okay. It's, it's very interesting, and it's, it's a chemistry project. Each recipe mm-hmm. is like a big chemistry project. Yeah, I like mm. this. I like the architecture <laughs> of what you're describing. I want to talk with Chris about this layered bean, and all of you here, because we just all ate this together. Oh, yeah. Your layered bean tortilla casserole. Think cast iron skillet. It makes two servings. This has corn tortillas, a can of black beans, or you could use pinto beans, salsa, fresh or frozen corn, some shredded Monterey Jack cheese, chopped cilantro if you have it, if you like it rather, and then you can use garnishes like sour cream or onion or avocado. So Chris, tell how easy it was. First, Carol, I love this recipe. I loved it even more last night when I was putting (laughs) it together. It's A, so simple to make, and B, uses basically everything I already had. And My this, pantry is loaded with this kind of stuff. And this right. is on our website right now, yeah. foodschmooze.org. Okay, so tell us how this came together. It's so easy. It's like mind-blowing. So corn tortillas, you spray or oil the bottom of a cast iron pan, or if you don't have that, you can use a little cake pan. That's what I used. 
Then you top it with drained and rinsed black beans, a little scoop of salsa. I used the salsa I had in my pantry. Grab some frozen corn, put a little bit of that on there, and then topped it with cheese. Then another layer goes on, right? Another tortilla, and so, you do that like again. Yeah, then you yeah. do that again, and then you put another tortilla, and you do it one more time, leaving that open. Then it gets a little cilantro, and you toss it in the oven, covered first to get it nice and toasty. Right. And then you uncover it. It gets nice and crispy on the outside. Oh, yeah. Um, took it out of the oven, let it sit for a couple of minutes, and I cut it into quarters. And, oh, my God. It was so delicious. It is delicious. The avocado is on top with sour cream. And, I mean, it's funny have because it for brunch. I didn't have to buy oh, yeah. anything yeah. to make this. Yeah, with, with a little kava with this. Oh, fabulous. Oh, yeah. oh, that sounds so good. Something else that's great about that recipe is at 4 p.m. on any given day, about three-fourths of us don't even know what we're going to have for dinner that night. And you walk yeah. in the kitchen coming home from work like, well, what am I going to do that's quick? This thing can go together so quickly, and you'll have dinner on the table before you know it. And while it's baking, you can make a salad or set the table and all those things you have to do. But that's what I like about it. It's sort of an impromptu dish if you want to use it as one of your backups when you come home and you have nothing planned and i like what you say you could use anything right yeah. just use yeah. this as a template but if you don't have beans in your pantry oh well and use something sure. else oh, sure. right chicken shredded oh, yeah. chicken if you shredded had it from chicken. like before whatever yeah, chickpeas whatever you want whatever it you just want. is you have the tortillas and some cheese you really can put whatever you want on this i thing. mean if you had frozen spinach if you totally. had frozen peas yeah. really there's huh. think of what can go in so carol i want to do something this is carol fenster her book is called gluten-free cooking for two 125 of her favorites and I want to try something that is very much in season because sometimes gluten-free eaters are not eating seasonally they're more eating things they feel deprived of so there's a lot of baked, <laughs> a lot of crackers and breads and you know but this is not asparagus soup it normally doesn't have any problems with gluten anyway right so right. but this is a very easy soup using fresh asparagus of the mm. season right now mm. that was just beautiful and we put this on the website too foodschmooze.org carol tell me about this you use gluten-free chicken or vegetable broth right? right there's a couple things that usually can go wrong with soups when it comes to gluten-free one is the broth because there are brands out there that do have wheat in them yes. still oh. you gotta read the labels yeah the other mm. thing that can happen with soups even though they're they seem to be sort of safe is the how we thicken them and so I avoided any major thickeners here. Why we use sweet rice flour or cornstarch as a thickener, but that's a safe thickener mm -hmm. for folks who can't have wheat. I meant this to be a template for any kind of vegetable. So you basically cook the asparagus and the um, leeks, which add wonderful flavor. Yeah. And we're back at that point that I mentioned earlier about trying to balance flavors and make sure that things taste just as normal as possible. You simmer that in the gluten-free chicken broth or vegetable broth if you want this to be a, a vegan or vegetarian dish, and a little bit of salt and pepper, and then whatever herb you like. I'm partial to thyme, but you might use dill, whatever is in season. You simply simmer it till the asparagus and leeks are done, and then you whirl it along with the thickener. You could either use sweet rice flour, which I really like, or cornstarch. And by the way, the sweet rice flour is not the same rice flour that you think of when you see a recipe that says brown rice flour or white rice flour. This is actually sweet rice flour, and it's made from the same sweet rice that you get in Chinese or, or Asian restaurants, like the stuff that clumps together. It's also called sticky rice, or sometimes, unfortunately, it's called glutinous rice. It doesn't have gluten, but it, it's called that, you yeah. know. 
That's what we're talking about, and it's easily available through grocery stores. And why anyway, do you like that? It thickens more like wheat flour does. You know, if you use cornstarch, which is okay, it's a little shinier, more appropriate, I think, for desserts. But in this small amount, you're not going to notice it. If you hold up a dish thickened with wheat flour and then hold it up against one thickened with sweet rice flour, Mm -hmm. they will look far more alike than the Mm -hmm. one with cornstarch. Cornstarch lends that kind of glassy, glossy, translucent look. Yes. That you might not want in a savory dish. Okay. Like, Think about this. Think about how easy it is to make your own asparagus soup where you've chopped up a leek and just the white parts. Then you've got the chicken broth or vegetable broth, a little tiny bit of butter, salt and pepper, and then the, the herb thing that Carol's talking about and that rice flour, sweet rice flour, or if you, if you can't get it, cornstarch. And what happens? You put the saucepan on and you've got half the broth mixed with the asparagus, the leeks, the butter, the salt, and the pepper, and you bring it to a boil, let it simmer for a while, covered for about five minutes, and these leeks and asparagus are, are poaching in that broth. So now Yum. it's flavored, yeah. right? And then with a, a slotted spoon, you take the asparagus and leek out, and you put it in a blender, and you put the rest of the broth in there with the herbs and the rice flour, and you just puree it for about a minute, and it's incredibly smooth. And now it goes back into the pan and you cook the soup. Mm. You can garnish with a few more leeks if you want or whatever you want to do. Talk about fresh, seasonal, delicious. Mm, yeah. I would put some snipped garlic mm. chives on top, on top of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's on our website, foodschmooze.org, <laughs> including information about Carol Fenster's book. Carol, it's so hard to know what to talk with you about. There's so many things in here. How about if I don't let you get away, Carol, without okay. talking about... <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I want you to talk about a dessert. I am a fan of carrot cake. Carrot cupcakes are just the Ooh. best. Oh, yeah. And you have a recipe in here for these. This is, um, you've got a batter with Carol's gluten-free flour blend of your own design. Yes. Granulated sugar, brown sugar, so white and brown, cinnamon, xanthan gum, baking soda, salt, an egg, a little canola oil, crushed pineapple, shredded carrots, Mm. sweetened shredded coconut, and some chopped walnuts. Oh, you can see. How oh, can yeah. this go wrong? Yeah. Mm. These should be on Easter brunch table. Oh, yeah. Table. yeah. Now, I'm not someone who puts cream cheese frosting on my carrot cake or my oh. carrot cupcakes. Oh. I, I know. Oh. I'm the only one on earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like a yeah. different frosting, but that's okay. Carol's got a beautiful cream cheese frosting in here for the majority of the people in America. Easy mm. to do, right? Very easy. I think the reason I put that in the book is like you, I am a huge carrot cake fan. It's one of those recipes that has a lot of ingredients in it. And the problem with someone who's trying to wing it and convert a, a large, you know, most carrot cakes are like bunt cake size, huge. Trying to convert your own recipe down to be two servings is really, uh, takes a lot of kitchen math. And so I thought this is definitely a recipe that's got to go in the book because I had to figure out just how much do you use of each ingredient to make all the flavors balance out and the texture be right and, you know, have it look and taste just like the real thing. And then I decided to bake them in cupcakes because I think cupcakes are the perfect solution when you're cooking for just two people. Mm. They're automatically proportioned for Mm. you. You don't have to cut into a cake and then worry about how do I keep that cake from going stale or drying out. But you make cupcakes and then you have 
enough for your one meal and then maybe a couple left. It makes six. You would actually have four left. But at least you can wrap them and store them. So. Can you freeze them without the yeah. frosting? Yeah, definitely. I freeze them all the time. You could always eat two that day. Yeah. yeah. Why do you have to have one? <laughs> Three, <laughs> one for breakfast. And don't Come forget on. your neighbors. <laughs> so, um, one thing I learned is that measuring carefully is really critical in small-scale baking because the volume is so much smaller, and so whereas in a large full-scale recipe, maybe one tablespoon one way or the other isn't going to make that much difference, in a small recipe like this, it can make a huge difference. So I had to get it right. Yeah. The end result is carrot cake. What could be Ooh. better? Yeah. Oh, and when oh, you yeah. bite into and you get a little nut in there when you, where you chew, oh. It's oh, yeah. so delicious. Now, I would never advocate the idea of making two separate things, you know, one mm-hmm. dessert for your gluten-free friends and one dessert for yourself. But, you know, maybe you're having a party and you really have your heart set on a dessert that is not gluten-free. Go ahead and make that. These cupcakes are easy enough, and I would not mind, in this case, because they are so good, making a separate dessert for my gluten-free mm-hmm. friends. Yeah, but oh, if yeah. I'm not gluten-free, I have no problem eating these. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> yep. But this is on our website, too, Carrot Cake Cupcakes at foochmoose.org, including information about your book. Very quickly in this last minute, this is kind of a dirty trick, but... What do you, you grew up on a wheat farm? Yeah. What do you think accounts for the rising numbers of people who have become gluten sensitive or discovered they have celiac? But mostly, it's a high level of gluten sensitive people. What do you think is happening? There's several theories that are posed. One is that there, we were always there; we just were diagnosed with something else. You know, uh-huh. that's one possible theory. There's been research that's shown, though, out of the Mayo Clinic that the percentage of people that have celiac disease has actually grown at a very high rate since they were taking data back right after World War II. One of the theories that's advanced by one of our leading doctors, Dr. Fasano, is that there might be something going on with our our gut structure. I don't know that anyone knows for sure, and I'm certainly not an expert in the why. It's just that we need gluten-free food, just like mm-hmm. a diabetic needs insulin. As doctors will tell you, mm-hmm. people are coming in and saying, something is wrong when I eat mm-hmm. anything with wheat in it, and they're mm-hmm. not making it up. So yeah. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about this. Love your yeah. book. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. You all were delightful to talk with. <laughs> Enjoy Colorado. Bye-bye. Carol Fenster, Bye-bye. author of Gluten-Free Cooking for Two. Thanks, my buddies. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Come to my